Hey, CA Church, welcome to Church Online. We're so glad you could join us. My name is Cam Daly. I'm one of the pastors here. And this week, we continue in the book of James in chapter two, which my Bible gives the header, A Warning Against Prejudice. That's why I've titled today's message, The Problem of Prejudice. Prejudice? As you hear that word, there may be some who think, surely that's not a problem here with me, with us. We're too Canadian, too polite, too Christian. But it made me think of a couple summers ago, I celebrated 10 years of being graduated from high school. And I was reminiscing on that last year of high school at Pormody Secondary, we planned these grad pranks that would happen on the last week of school. One of which was sneaking up to the school one night, going down to the auto shop, carrying an old car that had no wheels, it was just a metal frame, and all of us guys lifting it up and carrying it to the front entrance of the school. We thought it'd be hilarious. So me and a few, few other friends showed up that night. There must have been at least 25 guys from our grad class there. We carried this car together, and I would consider it harmless fun. But I remember in the following days, the principals and VPs started pulling guys into the office one by one to investigate who was present for this prank. But me and my other Christian friend, we were never called in. They just assumed they aren't those types of kids. They wouldn't be part of something like that. So we got off scot-free with no consequences. Perhaps when it comes to this issue, we write it off in the same way and assume we're just not the types of people who would be part of something like that. Prejudice, to be clear, is when a person negatively prejudges another person or group without getting to know the beliefs, thoughts, feelings behind their words and actions. It's to have a preconceived idea about a person or people group and then allow that idea to affect the way we think, act, and live. And James speaks clearly against this type of behavior. As we stand under the Word of God today, although it is painful and hard to look at the mirror of Scripture, I encourage us to listen and consider and reflect in response. In honor of God's Word, if you are willing and able, would you please stand as we read James chapter 2. It says this, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in in poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, that doesn't that discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil thoughts? Moving on to verse 8. Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are guilty of committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who broken, has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but you do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. This is a strongly worded correction. And as a warning, you may feel that the tone of today's message may match that of the author. He, through this letter, wanted to put an end to such behavior. And although I recognize that this message is just the start of the conversation, I do hope that it would transform us as well. 
I struggled with what direction I should head when applying James' words. Discussing partiality towards the rich and influential and the treatment of the poor, this is very important. But as I discussed with Pastor Mark, that in our cultural moment of 2020, it would be best to address the topic of prejudice when it comes to ethnicity and race. The example James provides was to address the issues of Christians treating others with partiality based on outward appearance. And so the parallels with this issue of racism is fair to apply today. Furthermore, the argument can be made that this word favor that is used in verse 1 is used elsewhere to speak of partiality when it comes to race, so it's not beyond biblical interpretation to address it here. Note the main premise of verse 1 given was to give a specific example to the original audience. That's why we've called today the problem of prejudice. 2020 has been a wake-up call in many ways when it comes to the subject. To use the example Pastor Brad used a while back, it has felt like the leaves were blown off the branches and exposed what was hidden underneath. One of the many things that has been brought to the forefront of our minds is racism. The horrific events were recorded on film and found its way into our news headlines and social media feeds. Racism and injustice that have taken place in the United States towards black Americans. The fatalities of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. Many others have brought us to tears, heartbroken, and in shock that things like this still happen. These events led our church, like many organizations, to make a statement a few months ago. And while some will argue these events, some will write them off, arguing the details or context or referring to these people's history, criminal record, and the community they belong to, I can feel I can say with certainty none of these factors make these events right. They break the heart of God. These people are image bearers. These events may have, been caused, and may have caused us to reflect. I consider my experiences over these last four years as I've helped lead our students on mission trips into New York City. We saw personally the effects of systemic racism on the community there. While we were there, we met with families and heard their stories connected with kids whose lives are shaped by the realities and saw firsthand the struggle and hardship people of color face in the United States. I started to think about Canadian history and remembered how racism and prejudice has been a problem here and furthermore, the church have been culprits in many cases. And after honest reflection, it brought to mind conversations I'd overheard and had with family members, things I'd witnessed in my neighborhood growing up, conversations I had and heard at school. Furthermore, I considered comments and judgments I had made in the past that would deeply hurt those who had heard them. At times I had laughed or let racist comments slide. And with feelings of deep conviction, as I headed into this message, I felt it was important as a white man living in Canada that the first step of preparation for me would be to listen. This would be a way that I could truly honor people of color and represent them well. So over the last week, I picked up the phone. I sent emails, I had Zoom calls with brothers and sisters in our church family who are people of color. And in a posture of listening and learning, I sat down with them. It quickly became apparent that this wasn't just an American issue or even just a Canadian issue, but this problem was evident in BC and Vancouver and even the Tri-Cities. An issue that affects the lives of our friends and family today, and it was, it's relevant to us today. I asked those who I've spoken with if I could share our conversations, they agreed. The first person who I spoke to, uh, her name is uh, Sumi Kinoshita. 
This week, she shared the events that happened in the 1940s following the bombing of Pearl Harbor to her and her family. In fear of the Japanese people being sympathizers after these events, everyone who's Japanese that lived on the coast of the United States, but also here in BC, were given 48 hours notice, evacuated from their homes, and relocated to the PE on Hastings. They were put into the cattle stalls where they lived for six months. After that time, they were shipped by train into the interior to live in tents and shacks in New Denver. She shared although they were promised their possessions and homes and lands would be given back to them, they never were. Instead, they were auctioned off and taken away forever. And this was only just 80 years ago. I emailed Dean Francis and he shared with me his reflections and many experiences of racism and prejudice over the years, both in the United States and in Canada as a black man, including the context of church. The most painful part of racism, he said, is that it's an attack on who you are without getting to know who you are. It's a hurtful judgment and uh, indictment on without knowing anything about you. It's dehumanizing. I spoke with Lydia Kinney, who's indigenous of indigenous heritage, an Alaskan Native American. She's lived in Canada for many years. She shared with me stories of her experiencing racism in the U.S. and Canada. Had people ask her racist questions about her family. Her son had overheard racist comments and assumptions about Indigenous peoples at work. She shared with me the pain in the history of Indigenous peoples of Canada, her desire to see reconciliation in this country and in the church. I also had a Zoom call with Pastor Justin Yap, who's a Chinese of Chinese descent. He shared with me his insight into the experience of his Black uncles and aunties who lived in the neighborhood of Toronto growing up. He also, with courage, shared with me his recent experiences during COVID-19. Pastor Justin was part of the team that was mobilized early on in the pandemic to buy food for our hampers to serve those struggling in these times. He shared with me that he would be buying bulk to meet these needs. And each day he received countless looks, glares, comments from people while he was shopping almost every day, certainly every week, including racist remarks and assumptions made about him because he's Chinese. He was even confronted by a racist couple in Costco, a place where buying in bulk is like the expectation. Perhaps even more heart-wrenching um, was hearing about the conversations he would have with his mother. They would tell each other at the end of each phone call to be safe. And he shared that when they said this, they weren't afraid of the coronavirus, but actually what they may face when they leave the safety of their homes. So as we read this text today, remember that the sin of prejudice is not a problem out there, but right here. This is something pastors and brothers and sisters in our church family have experienced in the past and in the present. Today's message is for all of us, myself included. I'm not exclusively speaking to white people today because the word of God speaks to us all. James is asking, how can we be prejudiced or racist in light of who Jesus is? He's saying that there's something about our faith in this historical person of Jesus of Nazareth that should compel us not to have favor, be partial toward one person over another. That because of who our Lord is, there is no place for discrimination or prejudice. To James, prejudice is incompatible with his own Lord's life, death, and teachings. As you look at Jesus' life, it becomes clear he spent time with those in society considered the least of these, the disliked and the hated, the foreigner, the marginalized. He touched the untouchables. He loved those who others thought were unlovable. He gave time to those who had been forgotten. 
He crossed racial and cultural boundaries to share the good news. He stood up for women and treated them with equality. He lived a life of great compassion. And although in 2020, we would applaud this and think, well done, this way of living was considered odd. He was critiqued by religious leaders of that time for spending time with these types of people. In Mark chapter 2, it reminds us, though, that many of these types of people were amongst Jesus' followers. As you look at Jesus' death, when he died, he died for the world, every one of us, not treating us as our sins deserve, but giving everyone who believes in him eternal life. His sacrifice was not partial based off wealth or race or even moral goodness, but was for all. As you look at his teachings, he said things like, whatever you've done the least of these, you've done to me. He also made a call to love your enemy. And some of his last words to his disciples were this, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. It's by your love that the world will know that you are my disciples. In a Q&A with some religious elites, one asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and he replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all it demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, he said. And James remembered these words and he appeals to them in our text in verse 8 and 9. He says, yes, it's, yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. So in light of Jesus' life, his death and teachings, it's clear that prejudice and racism are not values or commended in the kingdom of God. They're in opposition to his character and his teaching. Christians are called to be people who love one another as we have been loved, a love that is not selective but inclusive, a love that is not theoretical but practical, a love that is not selfish but sacrificial, because that is how Jesus loved. So James says in light of who Jesus is, How can you favor one person over another? I want to give us a moment to consider that question, to let it sink in. The question he is asking is why? How? And as we read the text, there's something deeper, more sinister at play here. James names it. it. He says, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? That's interesting. Here we see James is making it clear that one of the reasons discrimination exists is because of the evil motives in our heart. If you look at the context of this text, James is highlighting that people were showing special attention to one group over another. So what what evil intent was behind their actions? First, perhaps there was an attempt to gain privilege. Now, privilege is a word that's being commonly used to describe the head start that a particular group of people have on other groups based off their skin color, their gender, inherited wealth, or their status from birth or blood. In the context of this text, culturally, privilege would have spoken to either blood status or wealth that that person would have had. And so the person in this story is treating one better than the other because of these outward appearance markers. The Roman caste system had three tiers. It's highly likely that the person being favored in this story belonged to the top two. By favoring certain people in this case who appeared richer and well-dressed, there may be motivation to perhaps gain what status, riches, prestige, or privileges that person had. 
they would have had somehow benefited from such an association with these high-ranking people. This hits home. The temptation for pastors to do this with big financial givers can be really real. And some of us can think of, uh, you know, people we want to get closer to and have in our lives because of their summer home or their boat, their wealth, or who they know. The second thing that we might see in this text is actually the protection of privilege. It's possible the person showing favor is trying to protect privilege. Perhaps this was an attempt to not put their position into question by treating equally the poor guest. In regards to race and culture, we as people do this all the time. We try to protect ourselves. Richard Lovelace said it this way, People come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. They fix upon their race, their membership in a party, their culture as a means of self-recommendation. The culture is put on as though it were armor against self-doubt but it quickly becomes a metal straitjacket which cleaves the flesh and can never be removed except through the comprehensive faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. For most people then, race and culture are kind of a self-righteousness. We think we're the good ones, we're not like those people over there. That means we tend to make our cultural preferences, which are no more than that, they're the preferences, into moral absolutes or badges of honor. We try to lift ourselves up and push others down as a form of self-preservation or self-recommendation. And in doing so, we show that our motives are not pure. This is not the way of Jesus. In fact, we see in Philippians that he actually gave up his divine privileges in order to reach us, to die for us, to come for us. This is not the way of Jesus. And the third thing that we might see in this text as far as the motives is that there might be something more perverse at play here in the human heart. We're evil. You say, hey, I'm a good person. According to whom and what standard? God, through this text and, and other places, tells us otherwise. Romans tells us this, no one is righteous, no, not one. Jeremiah, the prophet, says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Part of the problem when it comes to partiality and prejudice is the heart. It is the evil motives of our heart. This is why the Bible says that we need a new heart and in other places, a renewed mind. We need Christ to turn our heart from stone to flesh, to renew our thinking, to align with his and not the world's. This is what Ezekiel promised and what Paul talks about in Romans 12. But you say, I'm a good person. But James makes it clear if you break one part of the law, you've still broken the law. So even if you sit here today saying, I, I've never been prejudiced. I've never had a racist thought or action. I'm good. James gives the extreme example. He says, if you commit murder, but you, you, know, you don't commit adultery, you're still guilty. Therefore, if you've stolen or lied or lusted, you've worshipped something higher than God or even hated someone for any reason. Even if prejudice has been absent from your life, the text tells us that we've still broken God's love. We've still fallen short of his standards. Look what it says. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. So what do we do? This text leads each of us to our desperate need for Jesus. Each of us needs Jesus. And in order to, for the straitjacket of racism and prejudice to be put away from us, Richard Lovelace was right when he said, it, prejudice, racism, sin of any kind, can never be removed except for comprehensive faith in the saving work of Christ. 
It is only through and by the saving work of Jesus Christ. It is only through his life and death and resurrection that we can be forgiven, that we can be set free from our sin, that we can have new hearts, our minds can be removed, renewed, that we can live differently. It's interesting as I talk with our brothers and sisters in our church who've experienced racism and prejudice, each of them shared a similar sentiment that they wanted me to share here today that the only way they have forgiven their country, their neighbors, their friends, the only way they see the world changing is through Jesus Christ, through his power to forgive, through his power to change us. And so today we must look to him in repentance, to repent to him first because all sins are committed against God first and foremost, to repent of our sins that are known to us in this area, to repent of the ways we have done this without recognizing it as sin to repent of the ways we should have acted towards one another but did not, to repent on behalf of our country and our church, to ask Jesus to transform and renew our minds, to ask him to forgive us and heal us. And so I want to lead us in a time of repentance, starting with inviting the Spirit to speak to us. He is the one who leads us into all truth. And so let's invite him here now. Holy Spirit, you are here. You are present in every space and place, every living room, bedroom, wherever we find ourselves watching this today. And you speak to the human heart. You know our inward thinking. And I pray right now that Spirit of God, you would whisper to each of our souls. You would speak to each of us. You'd maybe place your finger on one or two things. You'd bring to mind ways in which we perhaps have been prejudiced or racist, things that we didn't recognize as such. Would you reveal some of those things to our heart right now, in this moment? Thank you for how you're speaking to us. In light of the things that we have heard right now, God, we, we want to repent. <laughs> and repentance is uh, turning our back on sin and turning back towards you. God, we want to repent to you first and foremost for all sin, including this sin, is against people that you made, people you created who were in your image who are deeply loved by you. And so we repent, God, to you and say we are sorry for the way that we have lived and acted, spoken, and thought. We repent specifically for some of the things that maybe you've brought to our mind and our heart as we were sitting here and listening today. God, we repent of times where we should have spoken up but we just let it pass us by. Comments that were made in front of us where we could have said something, but we said nothing. Lord, we repent on behalf of our, our country and say, Lord, we're sorry for how we as a country have lived in this way. Repent on behalf of our church for ways in which people in our community have lived in a way that is prejudiced. God, forgive us. Lord, would you heal us? Lord, would you restore us? 
Would you bring reconciliation in and through us? We desperately, desperately need you to do this. We pray these things in the only name that we can pray, our only hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, I want you to know you are loved and forgiven in Christ. Now go and sin no more. I want to specifically speak to people of color in our church. We stand with you. We will stand up for you. You are loved. You belong. And we're sorry for any ways that we have contributed or stood by in light of these things. Please forgive us. You matter to us. You matter to God. Pastor Justin shared with me uh, this, and I, I wanted to end with this thought. So many people who experience racism in this country will say, I can't wait for heaven for all these things to be made new. And while it's true that this side of heaven, we will never live in a world without the problem of prejudice. We can experience redemption today. We can bring the kingdom of God with us into our workplaces. We can transform our communities and our families and our children. We can live like Jesus and make life better now for our friends and family. The Tri-Cities can be a better place because CA Church is in it. In heaven, all things will be made new, but Paul has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so church, will we live this out today, tomorrow, until eternity? Would we be quick to repent? Will we stand up for people? And will we live this out on earth as it is in heaven? Amen? Amen. Well, folks.